Hey, Pete. Hey, Adam. Yo, man. Yo, man. <laughs> do you have a musical blind spot? Um, I do not. Why? Were you thinking of trying to expose it today? I mean, maybe. Okay. We'll see. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear Podcast. Daily Jazz Advice coming at you. Coming at you. We have a very special episode today, Peter. Very, very know. special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go dopio <laughs> on you. You know how I like to do that. You do like to go dopio. And we're, in yeah. fact, we're going to go quattro, quattro in a second. So, Have we ever gone quattro on one of our episodes? We've done, what, 500 something now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've gone quattro quality occasionally, <laughs> uh, as in one fourth quality. But no, we're going. We have some extremely special guests today. Uh, one of my personal favorite podcasts, and I know a lot of our listeners love this podcast because we've talked about it before and heard from folks. But truly, one of the uh, pioneers in the music commentary category of podcasts, none other than Switched on Pop. We have Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding. What's up, fellas? Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, Adam and Peter. Great to be here. Honored Man, to have the, the quattro distinction. We're going quattro. We're going quattro. And uh, for the few folks that may not, we do, have, we do have an occasional jazz nerd with their head buried in the sand, possibly. Occasional? So they, they Are you kidding know. me? <laughs> well, you know, this will it's be a, a good core test. core demographic. Man, this will be a good test. No, but we, we always feel like, you know, we're branching out. So... For those few that have had their heads buried in the sand that went directly from, you know, the Manhattan School of Jazz, uh, of music, jazz department to wherever they're burying their heads, uh, I want to just give you a quick thing about Switched on Pop. Um, these guys have one of the most thoughtful, one of the most entertaining podcasts. Their official description for Switched on Pop is a podcast about the making and meaning of popular music. And Rolling Stone says, none other than the Rolling Stone. Hmm. Not Papa has a Rolling Stone, the Rolling Stone magazine. Switched on Pop expertly delves into current pop radio, placing the creative output of Taylor Swift, Beyonce, et al. in a larger cultural and historical context. Music theory class was never this fun or addictive. (laughs) But I've got a better description than either one of those. This is these guys put on a podcast that is pop music for woke Mm. people. So <laughs> you know that, we that, can we put that on our website, Peter? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know why it wasn't there, but that's 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 I mean I'm joking, but that really is 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 a lot of what it is. Nate is a uh musicologist at USC at the Thornton School of Music. Charlie uh Harding is an accomplished songwriter, musician, etc. And you can go to their website and listen to their stuff to find out more. But welcome you guys. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. Really Great thrilled. To be here. Yeah, we love your work and really appreciate the dedication of your audience. Oh man! Yeah, well, I was gonna um, say you got this. The, the music theory class was never this fun or addictive. Tag there is is apropos. We were just looking at at some of our most popular episodes. They usually involve things like jazz piano voicings, drop two. So yeah. welcome, <laughs> welcome. And Hopefully you know it's bad can, when you have a word like voicings that, that I constantly get auto corrected on. Like it's not even a word. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so niche, you know. <laughs> Uh, but but when I say you guys are pop music for woke people, I was just thinking about this. Okay, this is going to explain it for folks that haven't heard it. You guys use Kanye and Ostinato within just a few <laughs> seconds of each other on a podcast, and it's totally natural, and it like makes yeah. sense. And you guys break things down, and it's uh, just a, just a lot of fun. And um, 
I was just looking up. So I, I kind of got hip to you guys. Um, actually, the Mike Posner beard phase, beard mm. growing phase uh, episode is when our mutual friend hit me to you guys, or at least, you know, so I was a little bit late on the bandwagon because you guys have been doing your thing since, uh, what, 2014, 2015, around then? Yeah, exactly. 2014. Yeah, which is like, you know, a little ways in the in the podcast game. Um but some of the recent episodes that you guys have done, uh, why lo-fi is the perfect background. We were just joking about that one. Um, were we wrong about Kanye? That's that's one of my favorite episodes. I got a lot of Kanye fans in my house here, my kids. Um, did Fiona Apple just release a perfect album? And a very topical one recently was the murder <laughs> ballad of Joe mm. Exotic, Tiger King. <laughs> little analysis of some some supposed country music there. So. Uh, that's good stuff. So we thought we would just kind of uh, talk about a couple things and uh, break some things down and, and try to try to bridge the gap. Adam has some ideas on this in terms of the jazz audience, the pop audience, but really we're just talking about the music audience, right? Yeah, I mean, you guys talk about music in such an interesting and, and uh, accessible way. I'm wondering if you could just tell our audience, you know, what, what is Switched on Pop and, and how did it come to you? What is your goal? What are you doing when you do a Switched on Pop episode? Mm. Yeah, Switch I, Switch on Pop is uh, a podcast that's uh, always trying to balance two things, which is uh, like revealing something about the musical construction of a top 40 pop song, but also telling you why that why you would why that information might be important for the way you understand the role that music plays in our culture. So we always we try to not have one thing without the other. Um, you know, we never want to just like like you were just saying, Peter, you know, we don't want to just drop a term like ostinato, tell you what it is. And then, you know, end of episode, our goal and the, the, the challenge is to introduce a, a term, a musical concept, and then like try to make that part of of your own vocabulary going forward. So that the next time you hear a song with an ostinato, you can identify what's happening in that song and then maybe understand why that song makes you feel a certain way every time you listen to it. Um, I think we're trying to uh, to both decode the the modern songbook and to to understand the role that pop music plays in our lives. Uh, man, it, w- very effective. <laughs> way, yeah, way totally. You guys do it. Yeah. Well, I also thought, you know, it's interesting because I don't, I don't mean to, Peter, I'm not trying to degrade us or our audience, but <laughs> no, we please, are, man, we, we are, we are due for some, some degradation, man. Come on. We, we are super jazz nerds and our audience <laughs> is, and, and I mean that in the most loving way possible, you know, we absolutely love to get into the weeds of music theory and, and break it down ourselves. And as we were kind of, you know, talking about doing this episode with you guys, it kind of dawned on me. Like we were talking about the, the newest Fiona Apple album, which is great. And, and you, uh, Charlie, you did such an amazing breakdown on the ostinatos in, in that opening track on it. And we were talking about maybe doing that. But then I was like, you know, Peter and I had just done this, uh, this listening session on Kenny Garrett's songbook album from the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was so popular here with our audience. And I was like, you know, the Venn da- diagram of people who love... Kenny Garrett and Fiona Apple is very, very small. And I thought maybe we could just have a conversation about why that is. Like, you know, both audiences are sophisticated and are listening deeply. Um, and there's there's obviously great, you know, musical um, 
uh, mileage to get out of both of those recordings, but what is the difference? What, what, how are we listening differently? Are we listening to different things? Are we listening for different things? Are we hearing different things contextually? Is it just a matter of taste? Um, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, on, on how someone who is like super hardcore into instrumental jazz and really picks apart and listens very deeply in, in very sophisticated ways can't get behind you know something that's equally as sophisticated and, and heavy mm. and can't hear those same things and vice versa why someone who's super into pop music and i know plenty of these folks too who can't hear jazz in the way that that our audience can we recently put a book out called switched on pop how popular music works and why it matters that was trying to answer this question to get at why are there so many different ways of hearing and how can we adapt our own ear to be able to listen for all of the different kinds of musicalities. When we listen to music, I think we really try very hard to suspend, especially for our show, we try to really suspend our tastes and try to enter into the music, trying to understand who's writing it, what were they saying, but also who's the audience for this thing and what are they getting from it? And how is that music trying to translate whatever it's trying to accomplish? It could be something as silly as like, let's dance and have a good time. There's plenty of great mm. jazz works that want you to dance and have a great time in the history of jazz, just in the same in the history of uh, contemporary pop music. And the way in which it tries to accomplish that goal might be really different between various genres and styles of music. So just to you know, one, one point, jazz, of course, is highly technical, proficient music across all kinds of musicalities. But one era where it's probably less creative as a whole would be timbre and in many ways timbre is the most important part of pop music you might be using very simple harmonies simple melodies syncopated rhythms but nothing that's going to get you to the point of uh you know the best drummers in jazz but what's going on in the sound design in the production is what's giving that mm. that song an identity and so oftentimes i think about if you hear a song you're a total jazz head and you hear work in something outside of jazz where you're just like, that's bad. It's not for me. I think it's always a question of like, how am I listening? What, through what ears am I listening? Am I understanding the way that that work is trying to say the thing that it's trying to say? And oftentimes it just means that we have tastes that value one thing over another. Some people listen a lot for harmony. Some people listen a lot for rhythm, some a lot for melody. So I would just encourage different ways of listening, different kinds of musicalities. That's how I think about it. But I'm also not the jazz professor. I bet Nate has a lot more to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing, actually. I think that's that's very uh, true. And a lot of the most famous jazz recordings and some of the best, you know, the pianist has no say in how, mm -hmm. and even the piano and the instrument they get to play. They just walk in. It's whatever's there. It was tuned in whatever way is possible. They have no, nobody has any say on how it sounds after it's it's mixed and mastered. I mean, they're not a part of that process. It's all just what literally the content of what is coming out of our instruments, you know, and in, in the moment. So it's a great, but point. I wonder too, I mean, to, to this point, Charlie, about timbre and, and texture and sound design. If we think about some of the most popular, you know, we were talking about pop music and what is popular. The most popular jazz records were very attuned to the sound. You talk about kind of blue and, you know, that's kind of, uh, 
I mean, to me, you know, a lot of real, you know, jazz heads are like, they, they want to kind of put that record back a little bit because they're like, oh, that's not the greatest. But the playing is amazing, but it's also got this incredible sound. There was a lot of attention to the kind of detail I think mm-hmm. you were just referring to, kind of an outsized amount from most jazz records. And it's, you know, one of the best selling jazz records of all time. And mm, I think interesting, that, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, is there a connection, <laughs> correlation? But I mean, you know, jazz drummers think about, texture and timbre and sound and nuances so much in a live situation and it is i think a problem in so many jazz recordings it's like we'll sit there and debate are we gonna play a minor six or minor seven sharp 11 and then we don't spend any time talking about what let's go back and really hear what the sound of the bass is like how can we adjust that or whatever whereas in in pop music you know I mean, now now we're getting into some generalizations, right? But for sure, I don't. It's it's. An I don't mean there. to say, of course, that that jazz musicians don't care about tamper. I mean, tone is essential, right? And certainly, there are so many examples where jazz is pushing at the boundaries of tamper. But I would say that on the whole, tamper is overly privileged in popular mm. music, and uh, that so much of the, the like the large body of jazz. Again, this is a generalization. Yeah, is generally on live recorded instruments and less in synthetic and sampled sounds that can sort of really alter and create un in, you know unhuman, never heard before thing sort of things. Do those worlds blur? Absolutely, often, not that often. And I think on the whole, statistically, one uh, uh, prefers the uh, one one prefers the other. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think jazz. Uh, to put on my as Charlie suggested, my professorial uh, elbow patches for a minute. Uh, I think jazz has a historically kind of uneasy relationship with uh, technology. Um, Certainly not an entirely adversarial one, but uh, I think so much of the, the sound of pop music is entirely predicated on its, its newness and the idea that you turn on your radio and you, you know, might hear a sound that you've never heard before, a timbre, a, something created in a digital audio workstation by Skrillex or someone. Um, that is the, uh, the the kind of foundation of, of that song is is the newness and the, the boldness of it um, that, you know, doesn't always track with uh, a certain... Uh, more backwards-looking impulse in jazz, I think. Right, right. So I'm wondering if, like, you know, the the, the Venn diagram you referenced before, Adam, Kenny Garrett's songbook and Fiona Apple's... I would actually love to know the statistics on that. Yeah, yeah. I really do want to know um, the demographics. Well, you know, if in the middle, like, to me, somewhat of the missing link in, in terms of influencing... Uh, we we have to talk about Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. because he's not a jazz musician and he's not a, I mean obviously he's extremely popular and you would put him in the pop genre but he is the one that can link, you know I mean you talk about being at that cutting edge of technology he's he's been there since 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 the beginning right. of that but and, and not only Stevie but I mean you have artists like this that are are able to bridge, you know texture sound timbre sound design harmony. Um, you know, jazz influence blues, obviously, mm. you know, rhythm and blues, all is all these different elements in such a, uh, you know, an, an organic way. But uh, what I think that you guys do that's so cool, you mentioned, Nate, earlier, de- decoding the modern songbook, mm. I think is how you put it. And, you know, 
in some ways switched on pop analyzing pop music it's kind of easy and almost lazy as much as i love stevie wonder and you know all the all the ogs of pop music you know it's a lot easier to go back and like analyze or james brown's funk groove and i know you guys got into a thing about that it's like it's kind of easier to go back yeah we know that stuff's great we love listening to that but it's like what is happening with modern um you know modern pop music and how has that taken those elements and i think that part is very much like the jazz world in terms of you know we have these these things with young jazz players it's like well how much are you taking from that are you playing too automated are you using technology too much Mm. is it quantized you know all these same kind of things translate over but was that like a conscious decision did you guys kind of have guardrails up on switched on pop in terms of how far you're going to go back yeah i think the you know our our backgrounds are probably a big part of this story, and the fact that I think we, you know, six years ago we were we were really sitting where you are now in a way. Like we were outsiders. We were not. We didn't know anything about pop music. I frankly I don't think we respected pop music very much. Um, I think we would probably self-identify as a jazz snob myself, jazz slash classical. Charlie maybe. And I was probably in the rock electronic own form of snobbery um and Mm -hmm. you know we started this podcast it sometimes we describe it as like the idea was it would be kind of a trojan horse that we wanted to introduce musical technical ideas and vocabulary to people through this kind of trojan horse of pop music like this kind of friendly approachable body of music um Always and, very then contemporary, would, and then we would sneak in, yeah, sneak in, uh, you know, harmony mm. and melody and syncope and other ideas <laughs> through that. Um, and then what happened was that we kind of Trojaned horsed ourselves and ended up like really <laughs> loving and and respecting and uh, and and kind of having our ears stretched open by diving into this repertoire week after week for 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 years uh, on end. Was there a was there a moment or a track that did that for you? Was there a moment where you like this is like this thing I've loved my whole life? What is that? <laughs> the 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 song that kind of started us on this journey was "Call Me Maybe" by Carly Rae, Rae Jepsen, uh, the inescapable song, summer hit it. of 2012. Uh, and I still I I just taught a, a class today and I showed we i analyzed that song with my class and i'm kind of amazed how there's still features of it to unpack that i i never noticed before um and it's really and i think it was the perfect vessel for us because on the surface if you're familiar with call me maybe and if you're not go check it out um it is like a very kind of bubblegum pop song with with a a really kind of simple message in the chorus and uh all these synthesized textures and it's kind of this like three minute little escapist fantasy um sung by a you know a a teenage girl so it was like everything i think that we kind of rejected about pop in one song and yet as we listened to it more and more closely there were these things that emerged that we begrudgingly were like oh that's actually kind of clever you know the way the the chorus never lands on the tonic chord of the of the song which is g major uh that kind of keeps the harmony unsettled and unresolved 
the way that uh, the lyrics switch from past tense to present tense in the chorus to, at the same time as the melody kind of explodes into dynamic motion, uh, that, that sort of mirrors the, the narrator's transformation over the course of the song. And as we went on, we were like, uh-oh, have we been, you know, are there other songs that we kind of uh, rejected out of hand that also might have surprising depth to them? And I think our uh, the trying to find the answer to that has been what keeps motivating us to do the show uh, week in week out. Oh, that's great stuff. Okay, so you you're you I think that you're opening the door just a little bit with your Trojan <laughs> horse. The no the nose of it is you're helping me out here because. Uh, Go on, Peter. Step through. <laughs> well, no, I mean this is no. I've I've talked about this before. We're actually not nearly as dogmatic, probably as our audience is. First of all. Um, most of the stuff I listen to, like there's a record, Kirk Franklin, Long Live Love, like from last year that like, I mean, when I'm in my car, like that's mm. all I listen to. And it's not that I don't love John Coltrane or, or Sonny Rollins or Keith Jarrett. And, and I know these records and, and, and Miles Davis, of course, and, and Kenny Garrett, Stevie Wonder. Uh, but there's something about, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like when you have that intersection of... I mean, for me, it's groove, and I want to talk about the funk thing because I'm super interested in that and how that, because to me, blues and funk just intersect all these, you know, rock and roll and R&B and jazz mm. much more than, than we always, you know, than we ever give it enough credit for. But, I mean, you know, that, that Kirk Franklin, the groove, the gospel groove, which is another thing kind of like jazz that pulls it all together, but you're talking about a highly produced, you know, I mean, the bass drum is just like perfectly tuned. Mm. You guys could do, in fact, can I put a request in for an episode yeah. on the bass drum on that record? <laughs> we're we're, we're overdue for a, a Kirk Franklin deep dive. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know if he's, is he, well, he was canceled though for a minute, wasn't he? Is he, hopefully he's uncanceled now. We I think, he, I think he's uncanceled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <Whew. laughs> 